0: following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Go ahead, uh, open up your Bibles, turn them on. Turn up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, our main body of this morning is going to be verses 25 through 33. We're continuing in that vein of what a spirit-filled marriage looks like. Last week, we devoted our time to wives and the way King Jesus has called them to submit as spirit-filled wives and what that looks out to work out their in Christness, in Ephesus as women who are married. Now, Paul is going to turn and basically, with the same breath, with the same ink on his pen, so to speak, and now say, men, this is what it looks like for us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, 21. We're going to read those for context and then get into verses 25 through 30. So, what we have before us are more than the mere meanderings of a man. This isn't just the Apostle Paul. This is the Holy Spirit Carrying along the Apostle Paul. So what we have before us are God's words for us as it relates to marriage. This is what our brother in Christ wrote as he was carried along the Spirit of Christ. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 21: here is a fruit of being filled with the Spirit. We will be around to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what does that submission to not only one another, but ultimately out of reverence for Christ look like? 5 through 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, her husband. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> well, again, we are in Ephesians five. We're at the back end of this chapter. We're looking at this idea of marriage. Uh, I see some of you guys are coming up because I know this. We've been having some troubles downstairs with our live feed. So let me just tell you this: If your kids are talky and moving, wiggly and shaky, please do not do not worry. It is it is. Quite okay, or but Brady says actually we will have to actually kick you out is what he just said. So a lot of pressure here to make you have perfect children this morning. That is not the case. Uh, we are happy that you are here, and just know it is a pleasure and an honor to be able to have um, and hear little little children voices talking. For some of you little kids who are going to be listening this morning, one of the things that you can do this morning is we're going to be talking about how daddies love mommies. And so maybe what you can do is use your pencil and your paper that God or uh, that uh, your family has provided for you to to draw some ways that you've seen your daddy love your mommy. Our sermon title this morning is similar to last week. We're talking about a spirit-filled marriage, specifically husbands. The main idea that wants us to have uh, to lay hold of this morning is very similar to last week. It's this, that a spirit-filled husband ultimately submits to Jesus by loving his wife. Spirit-filled husband ultimately submits to Jesus by loving his wife. I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive into the text, okay? Jesus, speak. Your servants are listening. I ask that you, living God, would move powerfully among my fellow brothers in Christ, who are married, I pray that you would move mightily among my fellow brothers in Christ who are single but long to be married, that this time of preparation for them and this time of speaking to the reality of their lives now for those brothers who are married, that you, Holy Spirit, would radically grip us with what it looks like to love like Jesus loved the church. It's in the name of Christ I pray these things. Amen. So you're picking up what I'm putting down here. You guys have read these verses before. Very, very familiar text that we have laid out before us. In large part, our verses this morning are just an uber direct carryover from everything that we saw and learned about last week. Paul has been telling us to walk. He specifically summarized the Christian walk as being a walk of wisdom, And he says the walk of wisdom is how we walk worthy of the gospel and he said wise walking is a walk that ultimately says I want to know God's will for my life so I can walk according to that will we said that Paul told us after telling us walk wisely seek to understand the will of the Lord He doesn't just go and I've got no clue what that looks like I sure hope you figure it out and Lord willing You figure it out by the time it's all said and done. He does not do that Chapter 5 verse 18. He specifically gives us a hook a way to walk wisely in wisdom according to what God's will is and that is that we Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because we are men and women filled with the spirit So part and parcel of a spirit-filled life is recognizing that males and females in the different spheres of our lives we all have authorities to whom we submit and Paul is saying the way we go about submitting to those authorities The ultimate submission to authority being Jesus himself this is what wise walking looks like as men as women in Christ filled with the Spirit and Paul then said now what I want to do friends is show you what spirit-filled all of life submission to Jesus looks like he can't talk about everything So he zooms in on three of the most basic relationships that Christians have. Marriage, family, and work. And starting with marriage, he told the Ephesians, sisters in Christ, that a spirit-filled wife ultimately submits to Jesus by submitting to her husband. So he's just, you see the string of logic and how he's just unraveling it as he's rolling through Ephesians 5. Now he says, husbands, I've got a word for you too. And actually it's almost like two times more words. There's like 40-something words to the women. There's like fifteen words to the men. I'm not saying that means something, but maybe it does. Men are sort of dense. We can be knuckleheads and we need to be reminded to love our wives. Now, if you're like, man, that's sort of, what's up with that? Wives submit, husbands love. It, it sounds like they're getting off easy. And I'm not here to say that submitting to your husband is easy, but I dare say just as hard as submitting to your husband is loving your wife as Christ loved the church, is just as hard. The standard here is Jesus' sacrificial love. And that's what we're going to see today, is that a spirit-filled husband ultimately submits to Jesus by sacrificially loving his wife like Jesus. So it's important to point out that God's design in marriage is not this. Wives submit, husband's boss. It's not what he's saying. God's design in marriage is wives submit husbands love, love. And Paul is going to give husbands in verses 25 through 33, three specific ways that they are to love their wives. The first one is this husband's love with sacrificing love. Husbands love with sacrificing love. It's just right there in verse 25. You guys see it. In short, what Paul is about to say in verse 25 is that he's going to command husbands to reflect Jesus by loving their wives like Jesus loved the church. You see it right there. Husbands, here's the command. Love. Who? Your wives. How? As Christ loved the church, specifically, In the way that he gave himself up for her that's the language of sacrifice there okay so the command is to love the model is Christ and the way he loved the church and so the question that every husband should be asking themselves right now is this question how did Christ love the church Because if I am going to obey this command to love my wife as Christ, love the church, you need to know your Bible well enough to know the Savior whom you're to imitate so that you can walk in obedience to this command, obeying the will of the Lord for you, specifically as it relates to you being a spirit-filled husband in your marriage. The question is, how did Christ love the church? The answer is, Paul says right there, he gave himself up for her. In other words, the love of Jesus was sacrificial. The love of Jesus was sacrificial. To say Jesus gave himself up is language of the cross. It's cross language, meaning a husband's love is to be a cross-shaped love that sacrifices self for the sake of another. So for a husband, what Paul is saying here, men, is that marriage is a call to die. Marriage is a call to die. To say the love of Jesus was sacrificial to the point of death on a cross means that for some of us, there may come a time when you will be called upon to physically lay your life on the line to the point of death for the good protection care of your wife And of your children. Gone are the days where that is sort of seen as acceptable. Where a man postures himself physically to be the one who takes the danger, if there is an imminent physical danger, threatening his wife, threatening his children... Too many are the men who are milksops, who have the spines that are the consistency of a wet noodle when it comes to laying themselves down physically for the protection and the care of their families. I think a direct implication of Jesus loving his bride, loving the church, giving himself up for her was this. He looked at her and said, in love for my bride, in love for the church, I will physically die for them. One of the implications is we might have to do that ourselves. But we also see this other way that Jesus loved sacrificially. We also see that the love of Jesus was sacrificial in laying down his will for the good of the church laying down his will, his desires, his wants for the good of the church. So, import yourself into any of the four uh, uh, gospels. You see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. There he is praying, sweating great drops of blood. He is there about to die right on the cusp of being crucified. And what is his famous prayer? He says, Father... Not what I will, but what you will. So there he is saying, you have a will, Father. I want to walk in obedience to your will. Obedience to your will looks like me laying down my will for the good of the church, for the good of my bride, for the good of those whom I love. So, while men... You and I may never be put into that situation where we will be called upon to give our lives physically in death for the protection and the care and the sacrifice of our wife, of our families. What we can say, though, is this that there are countless, countless little ways that a husband must die to himself in love. For his wife so dying to self may involve sacrificing time and energy to help with the household chores dying to self may involve sacrificing good ambitions for the sake of the family schedule Dying to self may involve sacrificing the desire of comfort after a long day of work to help with the children when you come home. I think I heard Matt Chandler say one time, the error that consumes most men when it comes to working is that working eight, working 10, 11 hours a day for some of us, whatever it might be, that is the sole way that we are to love. Now, that is the way we are to love our wives. You are caring for, protecting, and providing for your family by being a man who is not a lazy, apathetic fool by getting up in the morning and going to work and exerting yourself physically, mentally, emotionally to provide for your family is the way to do it. The problem is most of us clock out 5, 6, 7 p.m. and come home and think that job's done. I think Matt Chandler is the one I heard say one time, actually your job has only just begun when you come walking through the door after a day of labor out in the workforce somewhere. Our job is to say, I might have the desire to come home and find some level of comfort. I've just worked eight, I've just worked nine, I've just worked 10 hours today, but the call of Christ on your life is not to be sacrificial in piecemeal areas of your life for your wife. All of life's submission to Jesus looks like all of life's submission to Jesus. And that might mean sacrificing good ambitions that you have so that you can say the family schedule is what's going to take precedent. It might mean you come home and spend time and energy you don't necessarily have for the sake of your wife. It might mean you come home and say, as much as I would like to have comfort right now and just sit on the couch and just veg out or go to the backyard or work in the garage or go somewhere else to unplug from family the call of Jesus. Jesus upon your life is to exercise sacrifice, the giving of your life for for your family. Now, I am not saying there's a set pattern to what that looks like. That is something you and your wife will need to work out. But there is a way to come home and to continue to give of yourself in that way. And that's something you should be able to work out between you and your spouse. Now, where does this come from? This idea of laying down, um, sacrificing your will, this idea of serving and sacrificing come together. There's a verse, I would argue, is the summary verse in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. I would encourage you to learn that verse. Because what Jesus says there in Mark ten forty-five is this. Listen to how he stitches this together this idea of sacrificing and serving. Serving is sacrificing. Jesus said, summary statement of his life, I would argue, he, as the son of man, came not to be served, but to serve. So there it is. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So notice the confluence of sacrifice and serving. It's just boom, right there in Jesus's life, man. What he says is, I didn't come into this world and go, boom, boom, boom. You exist to serve me. He says, no, no, no! I came to serve you. And the way I'm going to serve you is through sacrifice, showing that Christ's sacrificial love was a serving love. So just as marriage is a call to die, guess what? Marriage, men, is also a call to serve. It's a call to serve. Furthermore, another thing we can say about Christ. Remember, what we're trying to do is answer the question, how did Christ love the church in this sacrificial way so that we can have better hooks by which to love our wives and love our families in the same way? A third way we can say is this. The love of Jesus was sacrificial and that his love was unconditional, not conditional. His love was unconditional, not conditional. Listen to this, very important. Conditional love is not sacrificial love. Conditional love is not sacrificial love and that's because conditional love talks like this Wife, I will act in love toward you if you meet my expectations That's a condition placed on his wife that says if you do this or don't do that only then will I love you. If you say this or say that, act this way or don't act this way. If you meet these expectations or don't meet these expectations, I'm setting up these conditions, and only if you meet those conditions, then will I exercise love toward you. To pull from last week, this call to submission, what we're going to see down there in verse 33, the call of a wife to respect. You talk to the most average man what if you ask him do you long for and would you enjoy the submission and respect of your wife most men would say I do but what they expect is for her to submit or respect him without him being a man who loves like Jesus And so the model of Jesus, though, is he didn't come to earth and say, hey, the moment the church gets its act together and begins to submit to me as the king, only then will I love the church. Jesus, the bridegroom, led with sacrificial love. And that is what woos the heart of sinners into this thing called the church, the bride. And it's then in light of the sacrificial love of Jesus who leads with this kind of love by which the church goes, yes, I would love to, I want to submit to my king. So men, do not place conditions upon your love. Again, conditional love is not sacrificial love. There's no sacrifice in saying, hey, you get your act together and then I will love you. Zero sacrifice with that mentality. No sacrifice required to love somebody in this way. But unconditional love is sacrificial love. And that's because unconditional love says, I will choose to act in love period, period, no ifs, no ands, no buts, no caveats, no contractual loopholes to get out of loving, I will choose to love, period, no matter the circumstance, see friends, this is love that requires sacrifice, because there's going to be times when your bride is unlovely, Speaking unlovely, acting unlovely, thinking unlovely. Just like we, the church, the bride, speak unlovely, act unlovely, think unlovely towards Jesus, but the unconditional, gracious love of Jesus is not, well, dude, you really messed up on that one, didn't you? Love withheld. We don't see that in Jesus, and neither should we see it in a man who walks in Christian marriage. Jesus loved the church when she was rather unlovely. Paul says so in Romans chapter 5. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God showing his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5, 6, and 8. You jump back into Ephesians 1 and you jump back into Ephesians 2. Paul's already laid it out before us. Jesus loved the church not because we deserved it. He loves the church because of grace. Grace, that unmerited favor of the loving Lord. Paul reminded us of this when he wrote, In love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ to what? The praise of his glorious grace, gracious love. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, God, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Gracious love is the theme of the kind of love we find in our living Christ. And Paul is just simply saying, husbands, that's to be your model. That's to be your model. So, what we can say is that the head, so what we can say is that as the head of the church or as the head of the church, Jesus led with sacrificial love and says Paul, as the head of his wife, the husband is to do the same for better or worse in sickness and health for richer, poor until in death, they do part. There's a reason why we use vows like that in a marriage ceremony. Because that's the language of unconditional, covenantal, promise-keeping, sacrificing Jesus-like love. Vows that sound like a contract, I have a contract with AT&T. t better hold up their end of the bargain. If they don't hold up their end of their bargain, I'm cutting the ties and they're gone. That's a contract. Marriage is a covenant that says, baby, for better or worse, sickness, and in an health, Babe, richer or poor, until death do us part, I am loving you like Jesus, period, unconditionally insofar as God will equip me and empower me by the Spirit to walk in this way. Sacrificial love. Paul continues, sanctifying love. Husband's love with sanctifying love. Verses 26, 27. These next two points are going to go a little bit quicker. Look at verses 26 and 27. Paul says, Christ loved the church that he might, here it is, sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. No spot, no wrinkle, any such thing so that she, the church, might be holy and without blemish. In love, Christ died to sanctify the church. That's just what he's saying there in verse 26. That is, he died to make her holy. That's the idea going on of that word sanctify. Sanctify. The sacrificial death was also to cleanse us, the church, from sin through the spiritual washing of the word of the gospel. Paul uses that language to describe the word or describe the gospel as the word back in Ephesians chapter one. Paul also says Christ died to present us, the church, in splendor to himself. No spot, no wrinkle, might be holy and without blemish. Listen, Jesus loves his bride. He loves his bride. He loves the church. And he loves his bride, the church, with a sanctifying kind of love that results in the Christ-like growth of the church. So here's the sacrificial love, giving of himself so that people can be folded into this thing known as the church, the bride. And then Paul also says Jesus showers sanctifying love on the bride, the church, so that through the reception and the receiving of this sanctifying love from Jesus, that love results in the maturing and the growing of the bride to look more like Christ. And this, says Paul, is to be a husband's chief goal with his wife not that a husband has the power to sanctify his wife he doesn't have that power jesus does not that he has the power to cleanse his wife of her sins jesus has that power we as men don't have that power but What I believe Paul is saying is that the husband has the spirit-filled power to sacrificially love like Jesus to the point so as to help his wife grow in the likeness of her Savior. There can be this sanctifying-like, the sanctifying-esque love that flows from a husband to his wife so that the wife, in receiving the love of her Christ-like husband, says, man, he is making me want to love Jesus more. And that is that idea of sanctifying love. This is how a husband's love can be a sanctifying type of love. So a great question to ask yourself is this, men. Does my wife look more like Jesus because she is married to me? If sanctifying love and sacrificing love... Is the kind of love that Jesus showed the church and it's the kind of love Paul says we are to show to our wives. There should be this reality that my wife looks more like Jesus, loves Jesus, wants Jesus, wants to submit to Jesus, wants to give her life to Jesus. is falling more in love with the words of Jesus because she is married to me. Because she is married to me. Lord willing, hopefully it's not in spite of being married to you. So if you can hear this question, does my wife look more like Jesus because she's married to me, if you can say yes... That is the case, and I recognize it's not me, but it's Christ in me. Men, praise God for that! Like I'm hopefully, I'm hoping right now that you're sort of like gripping the edge of your seat to try to stop bursting up in sort, sort of, like exuberant sort of way because you recognize God is using me to bring a child of His closer to Himself, and that is a good thing. That should be a praise God kind of thing. Now, some of us hear this question, does my wife look more like Jesus because she's married to me? And some of us have to say, no, that's not the case. That's not the case. But here's my encouragement. You can still praise God right now. You can still praise God right now. And why is that? Even if the answer is no, you can still praise God right now because right now, You, husband, there is a never-ending forgiveness for our failures. And right now, there is strength in the Holy Spirit for you to be able to start walking in this way. It's a question I heard Brady ask one time to someone in counseling. He said this, Is there ever a wrong time to start doing the right thing? Is there ever a wrong time to start doing the right thing? If some of us are saying, no, my wife does not look more like Jesus because she's married to me, and the reason why is because I have not been loving my wife as Christ loved the church, Satan is whispering into your ear right now saying it's because you're just a big loser and you will never be able to obey this command. But that's what the accuser does. He accuses men in these ways. Might I politely suggest to you, you sort of look Satan, those temptations and those whisperings in your ear into the face and be like, be gone with you, devil. Because by the power of the Spirit of Christ in me, Ephesians chapter 3, and the command to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5 tells me you have hope to begin to do the right thing now, not because you're powerful enough to do it. But because of the power and the strength that resides in the spirit of Christ who is dwelling in your heart now as the seal and the guarantee of your inheritance as a man who has been bought and by the blood of Christ. So that's why I say if you can say no to that, you can still praise God because God is using this moment right now to show you there is a better path forward and he's not looking at you saying, now bootstrap this thing, young man, and get your act together. He's saying, come and fall on me, be filled with the spirit and walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Lastly, the third thing that we learn is that husband's love with nourishing love Sanctifying love, sacrificing love, nourishing love. Verses 28 through 33. Notice that Paul says sacrificial and sanctifying love. He's dipping into the realm of redemption there. A lot of redemption language going on in those verses. But with this turn in verse 28 to nourishing love, guess what Paul's doing? Similar to what he did to wives. He's turning back to the realm of creation. Back to the realm of creation. Look at what he says there starting in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. We're going to touch on that. Like, that's a little, a little weird. What's that about? He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh. But listen, here it is. Nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ is the church because we are members of his body. Here it is. Creation. Creation. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, for the second time now, Paul has said, Husbands, love your wives. He's going to say the third time down in verse 33. You aren't supposed to walk away going, I don't really think I understand what Paul wants us to do as husbands. You're supposed to go, He wants us to love our wives. But this time, notice he says, Don't just love your wives as Christ of the church, but love your wives as your own body. And it's like wow that's a little weird isn't it that's sort of like a wow as christ and now as your body it's sort of like whoa the glories of redemption and it sounds sort of like a self-serving kind of love that he's giving as the model it's like that is that what he's doing i don't i don't think that's what he's what he's doing right on the surface this command of love sounds like self-serving love for the husband it might even sound demeaning to the wife But you need to know this isn't the case at all. And Paul explains why this is not the case by going back to the creation account of Genesis chapter 2. Brothers and sisters, to understand God's design for marriage, you have to die, you have to live upon the word of God. You need to know what God has established when he says this is very good back in Genesis 1 and 2, especially when it comes to marriage. So what Paul does is he explains what he means when he says what he says about husbands loving their wives as their own bodies He loves his wife loves himself by going back to Genesis chapter 2 specifically verse 24 where he says listen You got to know this. This is what God said concerning marriage before the fall before sin ever entered into the world A man shall leave his father and mother This man should hold fast to his wife and these two shall become one flesh now that's a reference to physical intimacy that we find in marriage. This is also, I think, a reference this two-ness becoming one in the intimacy of communication, the intimacy that is spiritual, the intimacy that is emotional, the intimacy that is communicative in the way that we, we think and talk to one another, two have become one. I've, I think, again, Chandler wrote a book called The Mingling of Souls. You've got two individuals that say, mom and dad, peace out. We are leaving these families to form a new marital body, a new one flesh union. So the key to understanding Paul's argument is found in this biblical language of describing marriage as a one flesh union. A husband is to love his wife as his own body because after all, he and his wife have left their mom and dad and have become one body in marriage. So do you see what he's saying? He's saying you used to be separate, now you're together in one body. So the husband that says, I am going to not love this other half that has been intricately knit into this marital body is almost as insane as some man saying, I am going to act in an abusive way to my physical body. If someone goes around cutting themselves, hurting themselves physically, what we recognize is that is not good. That is not healthy. That is not right. There's something sort of psychotic to that kind of behavior. Paul is saying, in almost similar terms, it's just as psychotic for a husband to not love his wife. After all, she is. An intricate part an integral part of this one flesh marital bond this body that now they both consist of so that's why a husband should care for his counterpart in this one flesh union in the same way he cares for his own flesh Paul says no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it so in the same way that a husband cares protects and provides for his physical body his own flesh He's to do the same for the one flesh union he's a part of with his wife. In this way, he who loves his wife loves himself, says Paul. After all, they are united in this newly formed body called marriage. So just as Christ nourishes and cherishes the church because we are members of his body, so the husband is to love his wife in the same way. So again, men, I ask you this question. How are you doing at nourishing your wife? How are you doing at nourishing your wife? Do you study your wife? Are you learning your wife? There's a reason why we say things like opposites attract when it comes to marriage. You didn't marry a mere image of yourself. If you married a mirror image of yourself, I can guarantee you, you'd hate your marriage. I mean, you having to deal with you and another person like that's like there's a reason why. So the point is this: too often men go, "Well, I know what it takes to nourish myself, and I know what it takes to cherish myself, and I know what it takes to care for and provide for myself, myself, myself." And then what we do is we turn around and we project that onto our spouse and say, "Surely this is the way that she wants to be loved and cared for and protected and provided for, etc., etc., etc." The thing is, she's not you, bro. You need to learn. You need to study so that you can nourish and cherish your wife. The other question, are you cherishing your wife with the same intentionality that you take for your own body? There is an intentionality to self-care. Most men, because we fall under the curse of Adam in Genesis chapter 3, become too lazy and apathetic to exert that same intentionality to care for and love our spouse. The a sanctifying, sacrificial, nourishing kind of love. Notice how Paul lands the plane, verses 30, 32 and 33. Paul says, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So now it's submission and respect. Why? Because, he says, this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What mystery is he talking about there? And this is where knowing your Bibles again is key. Because if you remember, several weeks ago in, Je- in Ephesians chapter 3, what was Paul talking about? The what of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. So you have to understand verse 32, chapter 5, in context of the first part of Ephesians chapter 3, where he's talking about the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel revealed in this beautiful thing called marriage, that is what Paul is talking about when he says this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Listen, as we said last week, there is an evangelistic power an evangelistic power designed by God to be on display in the world today, an evangelistic power that can be seen in the love of a spirit-filled husband who complements the submission and respect of a spirit-filled wife. You've seen those memes before, right, where it's like you had one job to do, right? And it's usually like those funny little pictures where it's like literally, man, like this is like the whole point of your job and you couldn't even do that. Like if someone wanted to flash that meme up right now using verse 32, the, 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 what it would be is just a man loving his wife. It'd be a wife submitting and respecting and saying, listen, man, your marriage has got one job to do. Reflect Christ in the church. Reflect Christ in the church. This is what Paul said several weeks ago. The mystery of the gospel that's been revealed, this is, this is crucial, guys, listen. The mystery of the gospel that's been revealed is that diverse people, Of every background are being reconciled to God in Christ that in Christ Jesus this is the language Paul uses in Ephesians 2 Jesus has created in himself one new man in place of the two so do you see what he's doing there there were two now one two to one two to one Paul is saying marriage reflects this mystery of the gospel in the way that Jew and Gentile are very diverse, two, but have become one by the redeeming power, the reconciling power of Christ. And King Jesus says, I want people to see that reality in tangible, manifestable sort of ways on earth. So I'm going to create one relationship in this world that will show what happens when two diverse individuals say, I do to one another and become one so that They can walk in this world showing what it looks like to be redeemed men, redeemed women who are on the receiving end of two-ness becoming oneness. That is the point of your marriage. To walk in that way showing how Christ is redeeming people into the church and Paul is saying that God's design for that to function on a full head of steam all cylinders pumping is when a man bends the knee to the king and says what do you want for my marriage and he says love your wife like me And then a wife, in a complimentary way, is over here bending her knee to the king saying, what is your will for my marriage? And he says, submit and respect your husband. Somehow, friends, in God's great design, that reality should be the light of the gospel in our homes and in our neighborhoods, showing people the mysterious profundity of Christ and the church the one flesh union between two people who may be incredibly different from each other is meant to be a powerful demonstration of how jew and gentile are brought together in the church so do you see now why there is an evangelistic power to your marriage an evangelistic power to your marriage god has designed our marriages to be like a floodlight that not only fills our homes but infiltrates our neighborhoods with the light of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, this is what Christian marriage is about. Active very specifically Christian marriage. Because some of us are sitting here going, "Oh no. Uh, how do I even begin to do this?" Part of the answer is if you are here not as a Christian, you can't Because to be outside of Christ means the spirit of Christ does not dwell within you. And because the spirit of Christ dwells within you, there is really no power or strength to be able to live in this way. Christian marriage is made possible by the strengthening power of the resurrected Christ who dwells in hearts, as Paul said back in Ephesians chapter three. So for those who are here that are Christians this morning, hope is this, that God the Spirit is just pricking your heart to say, yes, I want more of this. I want more. Whether you use words or not, I want my marriage to be a light that shines the gospel of Christ, not only in my home, to my children, but to my neighborhood. Friends, I would say in our time of response that we're rolling into now is that you would respond in that way. Ask Jesus to do it. Now, some of you are here this morning going, I don't know that this is possible. And the reason why is because God is revealing to you right now, you're not a Christian. And so I'm just asking you right now are you a Christian? Do you know how to become a Christian? It's nothing by which you do to make yourself a Christian. It's all found in the saving grace of Christ. So my encouragement would be look to Christ, the one who lived the perfect life on your behalf, gave himself on the cross so that by his sacrifice, you might be healed and find the forgiveness for your sins. May God strengthen us with his spirit to walk worthy of this calling that we find here in Ephesians 5. Let's pray, guys. Jesus, I'm asking that you would do great things here at Delta Church, that you would bring about a kind of unity among us, a unity that is found in husbands and wives being unified in marriage because of, not their own strength, not because of their own power, but because of Christ himself. Jesus, we need you to do only what you can do. You need to help us husbands To love sacrificially, sanctifyingly, nourishingly, you need to help the wives here to submit and respect out of ultimate submission to Jesus. Father, I long for and beg that you would bring it about so that the marriages of Delta Church would shine like beacons of light In a world that is shrouded in darkness. It's in the name of Christ I pray these things. Amen.